today, I want us to spend some time in a psalm I personally have been camping out in over the last week, and that's Psalm 116. So if you can open your Bibles up to uh, Psalm 116, that would be great. Psalm 116. If you're new to the Bible, just um, crack it in the middle, roughly, and you'll probably find the Psalms. If you can't get them, the Bible works like any other book. It's got a contents page at the start. You can find the, uh, the book of Psalms and go to number 116. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low... He saved me. Return, O soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? What a good question. I'll lift up the cup of salvation. I'll call on the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. I think we see three things in this psalm. What we see is that we live in a world filled with trouble, that God hears and that God acts. Let's kick into the first one. We live in a world full of trouble. Keep your eyes on that psalm in front of you. Look at all the references to trouble in this psalm. You know, verse 1 and 5 speak of mercy. Well, what's mercy? Mercy's getting out of trouble. You're stuck in something. You you need to get out of it. Verse 3. Go to verse 3 there. Have a look at verse 3. There's a real sense in verse 3, right, that hell's coming after you. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. I mean, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of Americans coming to Australia. And the reason why it reminds me of that is when Americans come to, the, to Australia, one of the prevailing kind of ideas in American culture is that everything's trying to kill you in Australia, right? You've got like most of the venomous snakes in the top 10 are from Australia. You've got crocodiles. I mean, stuff's just trying to kill you all over the place. Venomous spiders. You know, trouble can be like that sometimes, can't it? It just kind of comes after you. It comes after you and it, it pursues you. You know, I remember sitting uh, at Emu Gully years and years ago as a teacher and the students were off on some activity and I was sitting there and I looked and about two metres in front of me was this snake 
slithering past just in front of me. And I sat there and I thought, oh, that's cool. Uh, that thing will just keep going if I just stay still. And it did. And it just kept going and it disappeared and everything was sweet, right? But it's a whole other thing when you've got a variety of snake that actually likes to pick a fight, right? I mean, snakes that like to pick a fight or any kind of animal that's going, I'm coming after you, is a whole different category to if you leave them alone, it'll be okay. And who knows that trouble can be like that sometimes? Trouble can be like the animal that wants to pick a fight with you. And it feels like it comes after you. And it's one after the other after the other. It's coming after you. You can see that in verse 3 here. It wasn't that trouble just... If I left it alone, it would have been okay. No, it encompassed me. It laid hold of me so that I was in distress and I was in anguish. Have you ever felt like that? Like it wasn't just something that happened to you or a bunch of random things that happened to you. It wasn't that you had to tiptoe your way through and you'd be okay. But that trouble, actually, it felt like it was coming after you. It was pursuing you. You ever been like that? It's aggressive. It's after you. You know, it's, it's like, have you ever, maybe this is just me, this is my overactive imagination. Have you ever played that game when you run to your car and you imagine some guy's coming after you with a gun or a knife or something? It's like, I've got to get in. And it doesn't work now, right, because you've got keyless entry, right? But back in the days of keys, it's like you're fumbling around and you're trying to... Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Just, no, you don't. <laughs> you know, the sense here is that trouble, trouble has you and you're trapped. You're stuck. It's like a python. Too many snake references, I know, but it's like a python that's squeezing the life out of you. And life has become hell. It literally feels like it's become hell. You go through the rest of the psalm, verse 6, he was low. Verse 8, he talks about death, he talks about tears, stumbling. Verse 16, he talks about bonds. What kind of trouble is he talking about? Well, we don't know. We don't know what kind of trouble it is. Let me give you a few options of trouble that could happen that could feel like this. Now, physical trouble. And there's, there's nothing that will grind you down like physical trouble that just keeps coming after you. Maybe you've had a bad diagnosis. Maybe you've had things go wrong and then you just got better and then something else went wrong and then you got better from that and something else went wrong. There's nothing like physical weakness to stick you in a pestle and mortar and grind you down. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's relational trouble. Relationships, has anyone noticed this? Relationships don't always go the way that you want them to go. Yeah. And you can have all sorts of difficulties in relationships, all sorts of trouble. You can have bitterness. I mean, think about the bite of conflict that goes on in relationships. That can be, it can be like a python that's squeezing the life out of you. Maybe it's financial trouble. Maybe you're out of money. Lack of security. Things are really tight for you. Spiritual trouble. You know, sometimes the devil just wants to wreck stuff. <laughs> and he gets after you. And he does things to you. And then there's sometimes we're all just a bit dumb and a bit stupid and we do dumb stuff. And then we end up in the consequences of the stuff that we do. Or, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. There are all sorts of troubles. 
I'll tell you something that happens sometimes is um, sometimes you can get all of them at the same time. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's like if I just had one, that would be enough. But I've got three. I've got four. And they're all coming at me, like a tag team kind of wrestling thing, right? I was fighting against one enemy, and now I've got 13 of them. You know, in some ways, I think that's not surprising, because, I, I mean, I tend towards thinking that the, the body and soul is a unity. That's, that's the direction I lean. I, we talk about body and soul, and that's where I sit, but I kind of lean in favour of things just kind of being all connected in there. You know, the body affects the heart, affects the soul, the soul affects the body. You know, sometimes, go down to verse 6. I love verse 6 because um, I feel like it talks about me a little bit. Um, verse 6, the Lord preserves the simple. Now, that sounds nice. Let me give you a few other words that cash out the idea of what that verse means by simple. Uh, naive and clueless. Naive and clueless, gullible, silly, wandering about, just drifting into trouble. You know, reminiscent, right, of the book of Proverbs. Is that you? Do you ever just wander about, just drift into trouble, even in your soul on the inside? See, hell is after people like that. Trouble is after people like that. Hell wants to grab you and grind you down with sickness, with relational trouble, with financial trouble, with spiritual trouble, or just wound you with a disillusioning experience where your head spins, you don't even know what you're going to do with it. Who here knows that sometimes emotional trouble can be way worse than physical trouble. I mean, it's a thing, right? Some people actually get relief from physically hurting themselves. They get emotional relief from physically hurting themselves. It's kind of like the, the, the physical pain is, is, a, is an aid. It's, it's easier than the emotional pain that they feel. Now, we're not surprised by this stuff, right? Because we know from John chapter 10, and it's always good to listen to Jesus, that the thief only comes to steal, kill and destroy, right? So you just you know that troubles, you know... In some ways, we live in a fallen world and the devil's up to no good and you've got a laser dot on your head and he's after you. All right? That's, this is pretty depressing right now. Are you okay? But that's, that's the reality, right? And I think the cool thing about the psalmist here is the psalmist is not saying, hey, just keep your chin up, man. Everything's going to be all right. He's going, no, like I was almost done. I was almost done. It was almost over for me. Here's where it starts looking up. God hears us. You know one of the things that trouble does? Trouble isolates people. It puts them on their own. It cuts you off from the herd, right? You kind of become that gazelle that's separated from the herd and there's a pride of lions hanging around. Have you ever noticed that? Even when you're close to people, and you're even close to people that you love, like when trouble comes to you, it's like no one else understands what I'm going through right now. 
This is so unique and I can't even say it. I can't even tell it to someone else, the pain and the trouble that I'm actually going through right now. And maybe you've even been hurt or disappointed by people who say, I know how you feel. And internally you've gone, no you don't, you haven't got a clue. You haven't walked in my shoes. And in fact, no one's ever walked in anyone's shoes completely. No one ever fully understands someone else's trouble and pain. But I want you to hear this this morning, folks. God is very attentive to your cries. Do you hear that? Now we go, like when I say that, some of you are probably going, well, he's got too many other things to do. You don't say it out loud, right? Because it's not theologically correct. But it's kind of, that's one of the things that you can think. It's like, oh, he's pretty busy. Now, if he's too busy to look after you, he's pretty lame. Isn't that true? Like, he's actually pretty lame. He's not, he's not very glorious. But the bottom line is, he's not too busy to look after you. He can handle all that stuff. He can handle Sri Lanka. He can handle Syria. He can handle Russia, China, and Toowoomba Christian College today. He can handle your ensuite this morning when you're standing in it wondering what you were going to do. Maybe some of you think uh, when I say that God's attentive to your cries, you go, I did it to myself and God's just sitting there watching me get, get my comeuppance. It's my fault. And I would say this to you, we are all gone for if God is not a God and he has compassion upon people who get themselves into trouble. Aren't we? No one here is going to get off the hook if that's the kind of God that we actually believe in, that he just sits back and goes, hey, well, you, you deserve it, right? You buffhead, you shouldn't have done what you did. Some of you maybe even think this. When you hear God's attentive to your cries, you go, I have to do this. This is something I have to do. And I'd ask, I would say, really? And maybe the word I goes off in your head. I, 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 I. God helps those who help themselves. Right? That's a good gospel, isn't it? So I pull your stuff together and he's going to help you. Now, that's not in the Bible. People quote it like it's in the Bible, right? God helps those who help themselves. Really? Maybe you would say this. Maybe you would say, no one knows what this is like. And I would... On the strength of Psalm 116 today, I would invite you to put one more word in that statement. No one else knows what this is like. You know, it's true, right? There's like, no one else has actually walked in your shoes, but does God know exactly what it is like for you? You can answer that. Yeah, 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 cool. Just go, oh man, I thought that was pretty clear. Seriously, how good are you at saving yourself anyway? I mean, if you, if you just stop for a minute and you reflect back on your life, right? Like, just be honest with yourself. What's your record like at actually saving yourself? It's probably pretty crap. Because we tend to be really good at getting into trouble, not so good at getting out of trouble. 
That's kind of how it rolls. And one of the unfortunate things, one of the terrible things about realising that you're actually, actually not very good at saving yourself, if you're not going to God to save you, is you're kind of left with some pretty dark options at that point, right? It's like death starts to become a little bit more attractive than what it used to be because it's like I'm stuck here and I'm not really going to God with it and I can see my own record and I can't get myself out of it. You're alone. You can't save yourself. Things that are dark start to look good. I want to say to you this morning that God listens and he notices. And sometimes that's enough. That's like all you need. Someone just noticed. Someone listened to me. Go to uh, verse 1 to 4 of the psalm there. Have a look at it right in front of him. Notice that at this point, the psalmist, God hasn't even done anything yet. Right? What does he say? I love the Lord. Why do you love the Lord, psalmist? I love him because he heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Just because he listened to me, I'm going to call on him as long as I live. You with me? It's almost like that's enough. As long as someone's listening, someone who knows, as long as he listens to me. You know, you can see here with the psalmist, God's hearing him inspires the psalmist's love. It's like someone's paying attention. You didn't get overlooked. No one gets overlooked by God. None of his children ever get overlooked. He notices you. Even when you think no one is noticing you, he notices you. And what does he do? Well, God actually identifies himself as the God of the people who call out to him. That's how he identifies himself. Because that's his character, that he's a responder to people that cry out to him. Exodus 3, the calling of Moses. Listen to this, this is verse 7, 8. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them. He's paying attention. Can everyone, if, if, just turn to the last book in the Bible, Revelation. Come with me across to there, Revelation chapter 8. Revelation 8, we're going to start at verse 1. And uh, just so that you know, it's not on my schedule to preach through the whole book of Revelation anytime soon. But it's a great book and you should read it. All right? There's some really tricky stuff in there. But let's just um, read this section, verse 1 to 4. When the Lamb, Jesus, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. It's an unusual thing to say in the book of Revelation. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne and the smoke of the incense with what? What's the next bit? 
the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Now, there are lots of reasons why there could be silence in heaven. But I think one of the reasons why there would be silence in heaven for half an hour is because the prayers are rising to God. So can you guys just all shut up for a sec? Prayers are coming up to me right now and I need to listen to them and I want to listen to them. He's attentive to stuff. You see, the only ones that actually get saved and become Christians, and if you're not a Christian today, the reason why you're not a Christian today is you have not called upon God. (laughs) You haven't realised you're in trouble and you haven't called upon God. If you did that, you'd be a Christian. Because God is the God of the one. He is the God that rescues and he saves those who call upon him. That's who he is. It's as simple as that. (laughs) You don't have because you don't ask. Now, when I was younger, some of you go, really? You look pretty young now. Appreciate that. (laughs) When I was younger, I was a fatalistic theologian, right? I was a hardcore realist. I was cold. God was sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. And he will do whatever he wants. And I actually wouldn't ask him for stuff. Because he does whatever he pleases, right? The scriptures say that. But James 4 also says, you do not have, because you do not ask. Because <laughs> what we're doing here is we're not doing a, some kind of weird business relationship or some kind of weird transaction. We're actually doing a relationship here and he's my dad and so I should ask him for stuff. And you know what I started doing? I started asking him for stuff. And you know what happened? He started doing stuff. Go figure. Joel 2, verse 32 says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. If you're a Christian today, you're a Christian because you call upon the name of the Lord. God identifies himself as a God who responds to people who call out to him. So, you want to be someone who calls out to God about everything. All of your troubles. Now, you're going to have to risk, you're going to have to punch through the barrier, the Australian barrier about that means I'm a whinger, right? Well, that's not in the Bible, right? The word whinger is not in the Bible. Just want to help you out. You're going to have to push through that, right? Because God actually wants to hear you cry out to him about all of your troubles. He is not too busy. Your thing is not too small. If you have an ingrown toenail today, you should cry out to the Lord for your ingrown toenail. You have not made too many withdrawals from your God account. Okay, it's not like, eh, see, I'm done now. I've, I've, I've overspent my budget on this calling on the name of the Lord thing and now I'm stuffed really. Like, I, I don't even know how I'm going to go forward. There is no such thing. You, you just, you can't drain that account. Cry out. 
Cry out to him. Now, what do you do once he comes through for you? What do you do in response? Well, in our culture, when someone comes through and they do something nice for you, you know what you do, you do something nice back. And in doing so, you turn grace into a transaction. True? It's like someone has you over for dinner, you just go, oh, they had us over for dinner, so we should have them over for dinner back, right? At that point in time, you're just in a business relationship, okay? Prior to that, it was grace, it was generosity. You know, you think about when people go to weddings. I mean, it, it, like, allegedly, one of the reasons for buying a wedding gift is to give something that's kind of equivalent to the, the meal and the reception that you're a part of. That's one of the reasons, I understand. But it's just transactional, right? So how do you actually pay God back? How should you respond to God coming through for you? Do you know what you do? <laughs> This is a spin-out, right? Well, you actually call on him some more. I mean, it talks about fulfilling your vows, so you do the things that you say you're going to do. You, you give thanks to God. But one of the things that pops up in Psalm 116 is like, all right, cool, you're in debt? Let's get in more debt. Everyone talks about getting out of debt, right? When it comes to calling upon the name of the Lord, your gig is not to get out of debt. You're not meant to do something cool for God and it's kind of paying back for the kind thing that he did to help you out. It's like, no, let's just, let's go bankrupt. <laughs> let's go bankrupt in asking God for help so that there's absolutely no way we can pay him, out, pay him back because there's no way that we can. Psalm 116, 12 to 13. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. It says it again later in the chapter. So here's how it works. I love, love a bit of a diagram, a bit of a flow chart. I just want to make this really clear to you lot today. All right? Here's, here's the process, just to be really clear. We get in trouble. All right? We can do that on our own. We do that really well. Okay? For whatever reason, and it's, maybe it wasn't even our fault, we just get in trouble. That's us. Second thing, we cry out, this is Psalm 116 flow. We cry out. God rescues. We give thanks. You could stick that on your forehead, right? For your whole life. This is how, and you could tell every non-Christian that you know that doesn't love Jesus, you just go, hey, just so you know, this is how my work, my life works. I get in trouble. I cry out to God. He helps me. And then I give thanks. Every day. That's just how it rolls. It's like, and some of us probably even now just, maybe you sit there and you just go, well, it'd be nice to be able to get my stuff together someday. I say, well, good luck with that. I hope it works for you. All right? Because it probably won't. You probably never get your stuff together because God actually made you to never get your stuff together without him. It's a good summary of your whole life. It never, ever, your life never, ever really gets beyond that. What happens when God hears? Well, God acts. That's what he does. God is a deliverer. Go down to verse 16 there. It says, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. He's, he's stuck. But his bondage to God is stronger than his bondage to the trouble. 
So one of them has to go. You know, you get this sense as you read through Psalm 116, uh, he's, he's not dying anymore. He's not stumbling. He's not crying. He's walking before the Lord in the land of the living. Why? Because God saved him. Some of you go, well, what did he do? I don't know. But he saved him. And it changed everything. I mean, look at how personal it is where uh, the psalmist writes here that there's no more crying or tears. Like, doesn't that just remind you of the new creation that's coming? Revelation 21, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And say, God, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It's not just coming salvation, right? It's not just coming rescue. It's actually present reality. He's interested in the business of wiping your tears and cleaning your tears up and acting in your situation that you're in. You matter to God. Do you believe that? You do. Now, I remember Seinfeld in one of his stand-up routines just asked the question. He said, why is it that um, when fathers of a daughter who's going out with a fellow, when she brings a fellow home, why are dads so rough on the fellow that gets brought home, right? And Seinfeld says it's really because the dads have worked out by that point in time that they can create their own people now. <laughs> and it's like I don't need you anymore, right? I could create my own people. Um, there's there's a, a scripture that seems to lean a little bit in that direction. Not not saying the scripture inspires Seinfeld or the other way around. But uh, you know that, that um, statement that Jesus says, I, I can make a son of Abraham out of a rock if I want to? He can just create people, right? Is that, if he can just create people whenever he wants, that makes us dispensable, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It's like, hey, you can just make another one. Just like that. He doesn't need me. I'm insignificant. I don't matter to him. Well, have a look at verse 15 down there. Verse 15 of Psalm 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now what, what is the psalmist actually saying here? Is the psalmist saying that when a saint dies, that means a lot to God? Maybe. Do you know what I reckon it kind of means in the context of this psalm? It's not that it's precious when it happens, but I think it actually means that the death of saints actually costs God dearly. It's like, it's like in the context of, of rescuing, right? It's like someone can be in a whole bunch of trouble and it's actually going to matter to God if that saint gets taken out. Do you believe it? When you think back to Jesus, he said that we've got more value than many sparrows and every hair of your head is numbered. It matters to God. You matter to God. God does not lightly, hear me on this, God does not lightly permit adversity for you. 
or an early death. They're precious to him. Your death affects him. Now, I'm going to start winding this up. And here's where we need to go. What is your picture of redemption? What's your picture of rescue? What rights? What counts? What qualifies as a rescue? It's a good question, right? I mean, uh, I watched um, an Avengers movie last night. Is that your picture of redemption? Your picture of rescue? Is that, is that it? Like the Avengers all go the hardest that they can and try to save everyone and everyone's just dependent upon them. And that's kind of the superhero thing, right? Is that, you know, the people who need saving are pretty passive and the heroes kind of come in and just fix everything up. So what I wanted to do is have a straw poll, a little uh, survey this morning and you need to actually raise your hand and uh, there won't be any public shaming today but I want to ask you some questions. And here's where we're going. Here's your question. What qualifies as a rescue? So it's pretty simple. Here's, Here's how it's going to work. If you think the thing I put up, the point that I put up would qualify as a rescue, you just got to put your hand up. If you don't, just keep it down. You ready? I'll give you an easy one to start. What if God fixed the problem that you're in or the trouble that you're in totally, just totally removed and got rid of everything? Would that be a rescue? Okay. Has anyone not put their hands on there? Oh, they're not going not to put them up now, are they? Like, uh, oh, you said no public shaming. All right. Okay, here's the, here's the second one. What if the circumstances changed enough that you could manage them? Would that be a rescue? Put your hand up if you think that's a rescue. There's a few less hands there. All right. What if God gave you increased strength? Nothing changed, but you had the ability to handle what came. Would that be a rescue? Okay. What if nothing changed... And you didn't have the strength, but God sent other people who acted in response to God's prompting and helped you. Would that be a rescue? Okay. What if God held back, like a parent would do with a child sometimes, so that their child can step up and grow, act or do something better that was important to their growth and their development? Would that be a rescue? See, it's getting tricky now, right? What if God didn't rescue you from the situation so he could do, so he could, sorry, bad grammar, so he could change something in yours or other people's lives? Would that be a rescue? All right, here's the last one. How you going? You doing all right? It's getting tricky, right? Here's the last one. What if your circumstances didn't change at all, they got worse and you died and God took you to heaven to be with him? Would that be a rescue? Okay, (laughs) all right. (laughs) 
My, uh, my dad, I'm going to tell this as a story. My dad used to tell it as a joke, right? But I'm not, I'm not telling it for a joke point of view. But he used to tell this joke, and it was about this guy. And this guy, a big flood came through, and this guy um, ended up on the roof of his house and was absolutely persuaded that God was going to come and rescue him, all right? And a tractor came through. Like the flood was not too deep for a tractor, and a tractor came through, and, and the guy said, the tractor driver said, come on, mate, come and jump on the tractor, I'll get you out of here, right? And he goes, no, 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 God's told me he's going to rescue me. And then the floodwaters get higher and, uh, and a boat comes past, right? And the guy on the boat says, hey, buddy, uh, why don't you come and jump in the boat, right? The floods are getting pretty high. Um, come on, just come and jump in. We'll, we'll get you to safety. He says, no, God said he's going to rescue me. And, uh, and then it's like there's about a, you know, a foot away from the water just starting to touch the guy's feet sitting on the roof of his house and a chopper comes over, right? And the chopper's hovering and a guy sticks his head out and he goes, come on, man, I'll drop the, we'll get you out of here, we'll rescue you, we'll get you out. He goes, no, 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 God told me that he's going to rescue me. Then he drowned. He died, right? He goes to heaven, he shows up in heaven, he gets his chance with Jesus, he says, what's going on there? Like you said, you're going to rescue me. And Jesus said, look, I sent a tractor, a boat and a helicopter, what else do you want? And it just highlights, right, the reality that we're just looking for something different than what God's actually up to sometimes. You know, we could tease out some of the details of some of those questions there about what qualifies as a a rescue. But the truth is that a lot of times the rescue that we want is where we're really passive and God just does everything. That's what I want most of the time. Now, it actually doesn't make sense. If you're actually connected to Jesus and in union with Christ, which is a theological mega theme in the scriptures, it doesn't make sense that you're going to be passive very often in God's rescue. You're going to be active alongside him as he does stuff. Does that make sense? It just is. It's just how it's going to roll. Now, does God fix problems totally? Yes, he does. (laughs) Does he do things when you're doing nothing? Yes, he does. Is that cool when that happens? Yes, it is. Does he always do it that way? I don't think so. But that doesn't mean that he's not doing stuff. Like you can't, whenever God hears in Scripture, you get this sense that his hearing means that action and rescuing is happening. So you better just look for it. And you better look for something that's different to what you think. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 to... uh, 32. It's on the screen there. Is this not just a beautiful way for us to finish? What then shall we say to these things? Now, what things was Paul talking about in Romans chapter 8? Well, people getting beaten up and whipped and persecuted and thrown in jail and executed. Just some small things. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? Listen to this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Now it goes on in verse 32 and says, we're being killed all the day long. So where, pray tell, is Psalm 116 now when they're getting whacked? 
It still works. That's what Paul's saying. It still works. Do you know why it still works? Because someone who can lift 120 kilos on a bar can lift one kilo. Do you see the argument? That's what it is. It's like, seriously, like all the weight of the earth on the bar for Jesus when he was on the cross, dying on Calvary, saving you from your sin and cleaning you up, that is the heaviest weight in the world. You reckon he can't lift a kilo? You reckon he can't do something to come and help you? You see, Paul's argument here is, if God has done the hardest, most heaviest thing, you can trust him to be involved in the smallest thing. Amen? If he, if he did this harder thing, he can do the other thing. Easy. It's going to be all sorted. And he is not begrudging. Jesus said in Luke 12, 32 to 33, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you what? Who knows that one? The kingdom. Everything. He's not tight. The Father hears and does things. Maybe we just have the worship team come up. Hear me on this. The Father hears and does things because once he heard and he didn't. The Father hears and does things because of a time where he heard and he didn't do anything. Matthew 27, 46, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because Jesus hung on the cross and his father didn't come to his rescue and get him off there that you are guaranteed rescue every single time that you cry out to him. He is the only one, Jesus is the only one who literally cried out to God and was alone. True? And because he did that, you will never ever cry out to God and be alone. Ever. It can't happen. I know it can, I know it can feel like it, but it can't happen. Some of you need to cry out to God. There's just stuff going on for you that you're not crying out to him about. Not enough, not long enough. I remember sitting, uh, sitting in a uh, redemption group with a guy in the States and it was like the first regular session in the um, redemption group and this guy thought that he didn't have any pain or trouble in his life. And it was filled with it. And we all just kind of sat there and we're just kind of going like, seriously? Like you think that there's nothing going on in your life right now? You need to start crying out to Jesus for that stuff. And you know what he did? He came back the next day, totally changed. It was like he could have gone home after that first session. You know what he did? He went home, he went to where he was staying, he went for a jog down the street and he yelled 
and punched at the air. The whole way around his job, he came back and he wrote a psalm. He wrote basically his story of lament to God and he came in and he read it the next day. It's like the coolest rap. But it looked, that would have looked weird, right? If you're driving past this guy, this dude's pumping his fists into the air and he's yelling. It's weird when people cry out. And you don't have to cry out here today, all right? But you ought to get somewhere where you cry out, all right? Because if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you. If he can hang on a cross and he can cry out to his father and everyone get confused about whether Elijah's involved and all that sort of stuff, right? Everyone's just, they didn't know what was going on. You get somewhere, you cry out to God, you scream from your guts and you know that he's going to do something. Why? Because he's the God of those who call out to him. That's why. That's why. 